The first lesson comes to us from the Old Testament in Psalm 63, 1 through 8. O God, you are my God, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift my hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast. My mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or, or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, and he found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The caretaker replied, sir, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We, we live in a day not so unlike that of the atrocity-rumoring Galileans when everyone, everyone wants to blame everyone else for all the ills of the world. Christians blame atheists and Muslims and Muslims and atheists blame Christians. Fundamentalists blame Hollywood, liberals, the ACLU and homosexuals. Liberals blame fundamentalists, militarists, and pharmaceutical companies. Amidst all the hullabaloo, amidst all of the hullabaloo, Jesus says, hold on. Think about that homely old fig tree. 
one that's not borne much fruit for a very long time, the farm owner says, cut the tree down. And his head gardener says, first let me aerate the soil around the roots and throw it some manure. Put some manure on it so that poor old thing can grow. But after one more year, if you give the tree one more year and it does not produce or anything, chop it down. So just when we begin to stir up our flattering, heroic images of ourselves in full battle dress, ready to wipe evil off the face of the earth, Jesus knocks us off our moral high horses. He brings us back down to earth and back to ourselves with, with talk of, of fertilizer and, and scruffy trees. He says, ask yourself, Ask yourself if you are like that fig tree. Are you bearing fruit or are you just taking up space? Jesus issues a serious set of ominous warnings about the urgency of the times and, and the reality that we will have in this disruptive effects on family life on economics, on religious traditions, and human destiny. It is in a manner of John the Baptist. His preaching is, is about complete, complete transformation. Being dead and coming back alive. A transformation of the world that is, is at hand and in, in need for those who have ears to hear, to repent. At least they be left to endure the full force of God's judgment. In order for Jesus to impress this point upon his listeners, he needs to address an apparent misconception held by them with respect to the questions of sin and suffering and a common assumption among the people of Israel who was that, that those who experienced pain and affliction were being punished by God either for their own sins or for those of their ancestors. This is the force of the argument among Job's companions. We, we talked about that many times. Who, they can't, cannot conceive their friend's innocent anguish. But Jesus himself is confronted by disciples with exactly the same questions. It's the common question. Why do bad things happen to good people? They, they struggle for understanding in his, of his ministry and his healing. Rabbi, who sinned? They asked before. Rabbi, who, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. This question offers a prelude to Jesus' teaching in the final weeks of his life. You see, the Galileans who suffered at the hands of Pilate, as well as the 18 who were tragically killed in Siloam, were no more egregious in their errors than those who now stand before Jesus. Even us. Jesus directs attentions away from the perplexing question of good and evil and focuses instead on a doctrine that Paul develops in his letter to the Romans all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. Due, due to the sin of one man in the, in the garden, and all are now subject to divine judgment, which Jesus has come to announce in no uncertain terms. Divine judgment, however, understood as, as the experience of God's wrath apart from God's mercy, is not inevitable. Rather, it's contingent upon repentance, metanoia. Metanoia is the Greek word for that. A complete turning away from former beliefs and actions in faithful acceptance of the proclamation of God's kingdom in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Metanoia. This is the hope offered in Jesus' parable of the fig tree. You see, the imagery is reminiscent of the scriptures in which the people of God are compared to a garden planted and tended by the Lord. The story is indicative of the socioeconomic circumstances in first century Palestine, which is absentee ownership, if you would. The, the master comes to the vine dresser looking, looking for the results of the crop looks at the barren fig tree and claims that it's just wasting soil. The tree, however, has an advocate, the gardener, who is willing to provide the special attention it needs in order for it eventually to be productive. The gardener pleads with the owner to grant the tree one more year of life Far from offering cheap grace or forgiveness with no, no reckoning, the gardener advocates that every chance, every chance, every opportunity be given before a final decision's made. And God, the owner, agrees and grants reprieve. This is the aspect of the story that leads to symbolic credence Jesus' emphasis on the urgency of the times. But, but not to be overlooked is the primary theological insight that God's judgment is tempered by divine mercy. This is especially poignant as we, as we look ahead towards Jerusalem where, where we will be confronted with the ultimate paradox of the cross on Golgotha. Jesus' intent in telling this story is to bring home the reality of the unfathomable nature of God. Almost as if to round out Paul's insight, quoted, they are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And yet, the gift is not without a price. It's not without a price, as Jesus indicates in his emphasis on repentance. The danger here lies in supposing that sparing of the tree is a once and for all choice that staves off God's wrath, transforming it into mercy. But if we, if we return to the story, if we return to the allegory, the parable, this assumes that the tree, that the tree can merely decide as a matter of will to produce its own fruit. 
It's important to note, however, that in the parable, it's the gardener who allows for the possibility of fruitfulness. First, by pleading its case to the owner of the field, and then, and then by his constant care, digging around the roots and applying the manure. Augustine, Augustine was clear on his symbolic importance of the manure. I don't know why I focused in on the manure this week. It is a sign of humility. It's a sign of humility. Here, here we find the essence of repentance. The faithful affirmation that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The fertilizer around our roots is the very blood of the one who pleads for our justification before God. The one whom we may offer up the fruits of the kingdom to our creator. I believe another way of rewarding Jesus' words is when it, when it comes to judging sin, it, it's best to look for the log in your own eye before searching for the speck in your neighbors. Or in this case, even your enemy. You see, Jesus is calling people to respond positively to his message before it's too late. He's calling them to return to God, to change, to repent now, not later. And Jesus is convinced that the end is coming soon, and, and it is for him in a very dramatic way. A dramatic reversal of fortunes will occur when the reign of God breaks in. To prepare for the fast approaching end of the age is to repent. And we are in the season of repentance now. Remembering that time available for repentance is very short. We don't know when the clock will unwind completely. We don't know. But what we can do is we can repent. With all that said, still people need to respond to God's mercy. You see, the fig tree may be given another year to demonstrate its ability to produce fruit, but if it fails to do so, it's going to get cut down. It said that, that faith, that faith is taking your best step forward and leaving the rest to God. The action side of this in the, in the gospel reading this morning may be that those who would follow in the footsteps of Jesus are charged with witnessing to the world in the name and spirit of Jesus. And the results of this witness, of these ministries, of us going outside the four walls, the results are not ours to know. The working out of God's kingdom is not ours to figure out. Ours, our task is to labor without having all the answers to acknowledge the deep mystery of it all. The task of the disciple is to witness, to witness and then wait, to take our best step forward and leave the rest to God. We, you and I, now labor for the future. We are not meant to control that future. 
Didn't Jesus teach us to pray? He didn't teach us to pray like this. My kingdom come. Or our kingdom come. No. But thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. There is no profession or statement of faith that says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's total mission. No set, set of goals and objectives. No long-term planning includes everything that needs to be done. We, you and I, plant the seeds that one day will grow. We, you and I, water the seeds that have already been planted, knowing that they hold a future promise. We, you, you and I, lay foundations that, that need future development. We see that with, with our children, with our Christian ed programs, with our music programs, for our youth, for our young adults, for our not-so-young adults, for our older adults, some of us really old adults. We, you and I, provide the yeast that produces the effects beyond our capabilities. God calls and we respond. God calls and we respond. Then we let God do the rest. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Ken Goodrich, and I'm humbled that you took the time to listen to this podcast. I pray that the Holy Spirit moves you to ministry and that if you don't have a church home, that you are able to find one. Please feel free to tune in on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 12.20 p.m. for our Bible studies, on Thursdays at 10 a.m. for our Learning Center courses, and of course on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. for our worship. Just go to fpclc.org to see all our various programs and events. Thanks again, and God bless you and keep you safe. May God embrace you and keep you in his countenance. Peace.